0: This is Hearts of Oak podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic, free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Dr. Steve Turley, it's wonderful to have you back. Thanks so much for joining us once again. The honor is all mine, Peter. It's great to be back with you good to have you and of course if people are not following you which i can't imagine but in case they're not <laughs> at dr turley talks is your twitter mm-hmm. or x however you want to call it and at, at uh, dr steve turley tv on youtube and of course turley is the website turlytalks.com. all those are in the description, whether the uh, in, whether we have people watching on different media or whether they're listening on, on the podcasting apps on the go, everything is in the description. Now, Dr. Steve, one of your titles of your videos caught my eye. Many of them catch my eye, and uh, many of the thumbnails catch my eye as well. But it was the has the liberal media meltdown. Begun mm-hmm. and there are a lot of things happening. I think to be hopeful about, and of course, you often bring out a hopeful side. Where I think sometimes we may be guilty of seeing the the doom and gloom and the negative. But um so yeah, you're challenging the narrative on uh, so many issues, and I think I wanted to pick up on some of those the collapse of the narratives that we've seen, and m- maybe we can start on the the legal case against President. Trump. And obviously this is to make sure he does not run because he is the biggest threat to the establishment. Um, And that seems to be unravelling. Do you want to maybe uh, let us know, uh, again, half our audience is US, half is UK, but let us know what's been happening on that legal side.
1: Yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating. So, you know, there's been several indictments against President Trump. But the main one, the one that's kind of leading it all is what's known as his J6 indictment is an indictment for uh, supposedly criminal behavior uh, in a deliberate attempt to overthrow uh, a Democrat election on January 6th, where our um, electors are uh, certified and legitimated by Congress. Uh, we, we go by an electoral college here. So, you know, you need 270 electoral votes to win. Every state in our 50 states has a certain number of electoral votes. And then you send electors, 270 of them, you win. That's basically you, you send them to Washington, D.C. They get confirmed. They get uh, certified, legitimated by Congress, uh, and you win. And uh, there was a debate uh, back uh, a few years ago. Uh, um, When this was happening is whether or not the vice president is the presider over the proceedings could actually reject electors uh, largely because of ongoing controversies in their states or whether or not you could send alternative electors uh based on those controversies from your state and then the vice president has uh leeway he has some some freedom to determine which electors are going to be is going to recognize that's all just part of the debate the i think it's relatively settled i do think as we do have it historically it's been a it's been a, over a 100 years but we do have some precedent where the vice president can come in and uh exercise some some, uh, uh, shall we say a judicial, uh, privilege in determining which electors he's going to receive or send back and then have the state work out the issue and then come back at another date, say, you know, January 18th or whatever, just set an arbitrary date for those states to work out whatever, uh, election controversy is issues. They still have that, uh, play out. Well, Trump is being convicted or well, he's being, um, He's being accused of criminal behavior in uh, promoting uh, alternative electors and promoting the, the the vice president to to reject the electors that were sent uh, because of the controversy surrounding the uh, November 3rd election. And uh, Jack Smith is the uh, special counsel who is leading these charges. He has a history of pushing, as I understand it, bogus charges against people. He has a very, very bad um, uh, overturning rate uh, when it goes through the appellate process. The appeals court, the higher up court, uh, a lot of his convictions actually get overturned because he seems to be a little bit on the seedy side of things. Uh, Anyway, uh, what happened is that Trump's lawyers uh, filed for appeals against Judge Chunkin's decision uh, not to grant him or not to recognize his immunity as president. And uh, Chuckin is also a very controversial figure. She's considered very radical, left-wing, and the like. And the D.C. court circuit is seen as very radical and left-wing and, and the like. So uh, what uh, Trump's lawyers have been doing is they filed uh, these uh, appeals to higher-up courts, the appellate court process, ...to overturn uh, Chutkin. Now, they, the, the appeal process may uh, may reject uh, those appeals and send it back to Chutkin's court. But as long as those appeals are playing themselves out, Chutkin can no longer conduct court. She no longer has jurisdiction over the issue I, I, over over uh, Trump and, and the litigation that he's uh, facing as long as this appeals process goes on. Now, Jack Smith knew that was going to happen and this appeals process can take months. He knew that was going to happen. So he kind of we we have the expression here he jumped the shark. It comes from a Happy Days the old if you guys all know the old <laughs> Happy Days sitcom with Fonzie and all that when they when their ratings were tanking, they had a a program devoted to Fonzie Getting on on some jet skis and jumping over a a shark area. And I forget it was in Hawaii or something like that. It was just this absurd attempt to try to get garner attention or try to get people to take them seriously again. Well, Jack Smith has jumped the shark. He's he's taking Trump's immunity claim all the way directly to the supreme court he's actually bypassing all appellate courts going directly to the supreme court and then the supreme court said fine yeah we'll take a look at it but we're not going to tell you when we're going to rule and that ruling could be this summer it could be next uh, it could be the following year we just don't know it just depends when they put on the docks so what happened is Jack Smith demanded, basically, in his uh, in his uh, appeal to the Supreme Court, you got to settle it, whatever the, your decision is, you got to settle it in this session, this Supreme Court session. He never explained why they had to settle it in the Supreme Court. He never explained why such a decision uh, was uh, needed to be hastened and, and the like. And we all know why, because he needs it before the 2024 election. So he's basically overtly admitting that this whole thing is a political sham, that the court trial is scheduled right now for March 4th. Nobody thinks that's even remotely going to happen, not even remote, even before all of these appeals were being filed. Now that it's in the hands of the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court usually doesn't, you know, they don't publish their decisions until the summer. They'll, They'll make a decision now, but they won't publish it till, the summer, um, nobody's even taking that that date seriously. And so it looks like Trump won't even be in trial before the 2024 elections. And so Jack Smith, Chuck and Biden, they're all even DeSantis in the sense, because the only way DeSantis could ever possibly have a chance is if Trump was somehow removed because he was convicted. Which wouldn't even happen in of itself. You can still you can vote for anybody you want as president here in the states. That I mean, we see it all around the world: Lula in Brazil, you know, or even Netanyahu and in, in uh, Israel. I mean, there's plenty of people who've been indicted who get who get elected, no problem. So anyway, the uh, th- right now you just have the weaponized legalist proponents with egg on their face, um, and Trump looks like he's going to he's going to cruise through. 2024. As things stand now, we'll see what they come up with in terms of trying to take him out.
0: Yeah, because I always wondered why DeSantis was running. I assumed that he was expecting the legal case to move forward and and Trump to be stopped. But the more legal issues are thrown at Trump the more successful he is doing in the polls. And I can imagine some strategists, there must be a few of them somewhere in the Democrat Party, wondering whats ha- what we're trying is not happening. And the last thing I guess the opponents want is Trump in court months before an
1: election because that simply plays to his supporter base of a deep state you got it and i don't think they understood this it's part of i get i think we're seeing the same thing in britain our ruling class just occupies such a different cultural space than the rest of the population the vast majority of the population they didn't recognize that when they took a mugshot of trump they would be moving him from one cultural sphere into another cultural sphere P- prior to the mugshot he was a new york billionaire president after the mug shot, he suddenly shared an experience that many people, particularly in our underclass, have experienced or know someone who. So, if you ask anybody in our inner cities, how many New York billionaire presidents do you know? Right, <laughs> zero. But if you ask them, well, how many? How many people do you know who've been unfairly targeted by the man, you know, who've had mug shots, been arrested? Well, all of a sudden that number goes up exponentially. So Trump, in just that one act, in that one picture, too, you know, pictures are worth thousands of words. In that one act, the deep state, where they recognized it or not, moved him from one cultural space where he's actually in many ways very much removed and aloof. From your average citizen to another cultural space that has tremendous amount in common with your, you know, your average citizen. So that's where that's where the populism starts to kick in. They don't recognize that we're going through a legitimacy crisis right now. I, I think we it's it's both Europe, particularly northern, um, sorry, uh, Western Europe and the United States, where. Every poll shows that virtually all of our public institutions, from our government to our media, uh, to our judicial systems, all are hemorrhaging trust and confidence among the people. Uh, If I recall, there was Matthew Goodwin, a good British scholar, I'm sure you know him. Um, He did in his book on nationalist populism. They did a study back in the 1960s. 70% of Brits saw the government operating for the good of most or all. Today, it's basically 19%. Uh, I mean, it's just literally plummeted. Uh, we, and, and in the United States, it's even worse. Um, in many respects, the United States may be the single most divided country on the planet right now. I mean, that's not an exaggeration the the gap that exists between our ruling elite and the people is growing more and more by the day. And that's precisely why I think every time you see Trump becoming a victim of weaponized legalism, his polls go up every single time. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think if he got convicted, it might be the biggest landslide we've ever seen how does the j6
0: narrative fit in this because the footage is out speaker of the house is released at all i thought tucker had released it but maybe i don't know the speaker has now released it um and you put a video out uh could it actually be your latest video on uh vivek ramaswamy on uh with cnn and challenging the j6 narrative and? taking great joy in the fact that maybe CNN viewers had never come across this before and to join that platform but how does how much does the the J6 narrative and the videos released that information uh, how much does that fit in uh, with kind of where Trump is and maybe challenging some of the narrative going against him
1: it is well again um J6 was used uh and you know we talk uh, a lot about say like what happened with Alex Jones? J J Six was used in it to tr- against Trump, very much like the Sandy Hook shooting was used against Alex Jones. who was it was an effective tool that the regime uses to isolate and seclude dissent. That's a very very important technique. We could develop that a bit more. Um, so J Six was for. Three years, almost three years now, right? Um, it was a very effective weapon against not just Trump but the whole MAGA movement and America First. That we're all in the end in, insurrectionists. That's that's what we are. Give give us a chance, and we'll try to we'll just overthrow the government and install some authoritarian despotic rule. You know, um, that is falling apart. That's just collapsing. Especially like you said with the uh, with the larger footage that Tucker had released uh, when he was with Fox and just more and more of the footage that's been coming out um, via the network society where we have, you know, instantaneous um, access to digital information bypassing the legacy media, the way email bypasses the post office basically. So uh, I think what Vivek did a good job in that, in that CNN slaughter (laughs) what <laughs> was uh i think he articulated the process that a lot of people were going through if you had asked me 3 years ago you know did the uh fbi um set up uh a bunch of well-meaning but perhaps overzealous uh patriots uh i would have i would i would never have believed it but then of course we had the whole russian collusion You know, fraud of 2016, uh, and that cost us $30 million with a special counsel and the like. We had the whole Jussie Smollett, you know, race victim hoax. We had the whole Brett Kavanaugh is a racist. We had uh, the whole uh, COVID lab leak theory is nothing but a conspiracy theory. Um, You know, we had the, the Covenant Catholic School kids. Uh, We're a bunch of racists at a pro-life rally, of course. Racists at a pro-life—you just let let that hit you, right? Every every life is sacred, but darn it, you know I'm a racist, right? Uh, You know uh, the 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 notion that uh, Hunter Biden's laptop was just Russian disinformation. Um, Suddenly, people started saying, "Wait a minute, we we're getting lied to all the time here. Maybe there is something to this J six setup." And so I think that's. In many respects, as I know just on a personal note, I can't even count the amount of people I've talked to who've told me they always thought so-and-so was a crackpot who believed in a deep state and conspiracy theories and so forth. And he said, I'm a believer now. After all of this, I'm an absolute believer. And then with the the polls are proving it. The vast majority of voters here do believe the FBI had some involvement in it. And of course, we have court documents that prove there were FBI agents uh, in informants among the crowd. Uh, There's still no confirmation of how many. Uh, There's a Louisiana congressman who believes there's upwards of 200 that were in the crowd. And so the entrapment um, charge seems to be pretty clear uh you know we have a governor whitmer and uh gretchen whitmer in michigan and there was a whole like conspiracy to to kidnap her we're finding out that was a conspiracy that was actually constructed and concocted by the fbi to entrap some uh some i guess militia members or uh, some people part of a patriot movement out there and uh, they were, uh, I think all of them were um, exonerated in court. And and the juries were were very apologetic. They even had to go through this. So more and more people recognize, yeah, there is a deep state that does try to entrap its citizens in, in a manner comparable to a banana republic. And now you have a president, former president, uh, who's the, the chief uh, uh, opposition candidate, who's being, you know, literally trumped up. With uh, with bogus charges and um, and they're recognizing something's not right here, and the delegitimation continues to uh, go on. Uh, that's the key. I think the division in our nation grows with every passing day. And you've done a, a number of videos on
0: biden's poll ratings um i mean you've got years worth of footage basically if you look at those poll numbers uh dropping dropping obviously everyone says well it's the economy stupid generally that's what hits uh, election chances but then with everything else uh coming in along with biden being not knowing what day of the week it is never mind where he is being led off stage um can how do all those factors play? Is it simply inflation uh, or is it all those other factors that are playing into those, I mean, horrendous pool numbers?
1: Yeah, no, I I, th- I, think so. I think you set that up well. I think something much deeper is going on. Again, Matthew, Matthew Goodwin, I think, caught it uh, very well in his book on national populism. Uh if people haven't read that, yeah, that's a that's a I, really... I went
0: to his book launch, I loved it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's Ma- Matthews. I, I I don't know if you've had him on your program. We gotta have him on our our, our respective programs because he is really and he and he's he's well, I should finish my sentence. He's really doing excellent work and he's he's bearing a lot of criticism from the woke yeah. a- academic world that says you're not allowed to even think in the categories. Eric Kaufman is another one at the University of London, uh, Canadian expat out there. Yeah, I, um, Matthew would call it a, a realignment, political realignment. I, I think it's absolutely right. I think you're seeing very, uh, very same, same things happening both uh, across the pond, uh, both sides of the pond uh back in 1960 50% of the british population ascribed uh, very strong loyalty to one of the major parties you know either tories or or labor again that th- that figure today has dropped to like 10% i think it was like 13% exactly just a huge huge drop we're seeing something uh comparable uh here what's what's happening is that because both parties, in, in our case, Republicans and Democrats, are, are just perceived as just occupying just such a different cultural space from their constituents. It's opening up opportunities. I think it was Eric Kaufman who actually refers to them as bootleggers. It's opening up opportunities for bootleggers, right? So a bootlegger, you know, just for just we're all clear, is you know, here in the States, we ban- we banned uh, alcohol for a while during prohibition. Um, and, uh, and uh, bootleggers were the ones that provided alcohol in the black market for people who, who wanted it. When people want something, but the government isn't providing it, they're going to go and look for bootleggers to get it. What we're seeing all throughout Europe all throughout Europe, uh, 300 percent increase in nationalist populist parties just over the last 10 years. And they're winning. Right. You guys are no longer in in the EU because of a bootlegger. We're seeing bootleggers rise up. We're seeing third what I like to call third party candidates that is outside of your center right, center left parties rising up and giving the people voicing the concerns of the people i mean you just had that amazing election in the netherlands a couple of weeks back with Wilders. i mean i i honestly believe there was a time i thought he could pull it off back in 2017 i think it was the last major election it could have been at the tail end of 2016 where he's really really close and then mark Rutte end up basically stealing his platform and, and they they were able to point paint him as the extremist and blah 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 uh that's those days are done um people see the establishment as the extremists because the establishment refuses to represent their values, interests, and concerns and continue to represent the values, interests, and concerns of the elite ruling class. Again, I think it was Matthew Goodwin. There was some, I, I'm going to fudge the data. I don't have it exactly on my ha- head, but there was a Chatham House, uh, you know, the, the think tank um, study that found that it was something like 60, 70% of MPs believed that uh, that immigration is always good, whereas only about twenty percent of the population, the voting population, believed the same. So the discrepancy between the worldviews is so dramatic. What we have to understand here in the United States: Trump is a third-party candidate that won a major party nomination. He's not a Republican. He's not a George W. Bush. He ran against George W. Bush. He ran, and you're seeing it now with Nikki Haley and Chris, Chris, Christy. Sorry, I always say Krispy Kreme. We have a donut <laughs> shop here called Krispy Kreme. So Krispy, Chris, Chris, we, we also call him Taco Bell. Uh, uh, you know, I, I we're, sorry, we've all been trump here, you know, but um, he turns everything into a WWE match. But um, yeah, he, you know, Trump is running against, the establishment, Republican establishment, every bit as much as he's running against the Democrats. He's a third-party candidate who got a major party nomination. And so you can't, in my opinion, a real assessment of what's going on can't limit the dynamics solely to the economy. You have to see this radical realignment happening as well. And that's what we're seeing. We saw it in 2016, with the white working class, who had always voted Democrat in every single presidential uh, election uh, since 1988. Um, Iowa, for example, voted for Mike Dukakis back in 88 when George Herbert Walker Bush got over 400 electoral votes. They were one of the 10 states that uh, voted for Dukakis. Well, today, as of 2016, they're they're now voting 10, 20 percent for Trump. Um, We had almost 200 counties in Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, Pennsylvania, very, very white working class counties uh, that had voted for every Democrat candidate um, since 1988 suddenly switch in mass and vote uh, for Trump, some with a 40 point swing. We saw, again, very similar dynamics happening during Brexit with the working class vote in Britain, as well as the December 2019 national Elections where uh, where you had regions voting for the Tories that had never voted for the Tories ever, and Boris Johnson, of course, destroyed that coalition because he's again he's part of this aloof cultural class that might play populist, but it fell apart. And again, I think the Republicans are experiencing the same thing. Hence, why and to me this is very important when you put in a candidate other than Trump the polls all re-equalize. Yeah. Now all the Democrat constituents go back to the Democrats. Uh, Ohio is in play if you get rid of Trump. Uh, I've seen polls, if you put DeSantis in there, you put Chris Christie. I mean, they, uh, Biden wins Ohio in a landslide. Very, very working class state that goes about 10 points uh, pro-Trump. Uh, would suddenly either be a swing state or would, be, would turn blue. So I think it's more than just the economy. I I think it's it's this mass realignment of the working class toward a Trumpist populist um, paradigm. And now we're seeing the non-white working class join up with that. Obama won the non-white working class with a 70% margin back in 2012. Biden now has the white, uh, non-white working class, he's winning them by only a 10% margin. So it's a stunning collapse. And they're not swinging to Republicans. They're swinging to Trump. So that's why Trump has got to do what Boris Johnson failed to do. Um, uh, and that is he's he's going to have to, uh, if he wins, he's going to have to command uh, the the authority to turn the Republican Party into a fully nationalist, populist, traditionalist party. As as long as they remain globalist, uh their fate, I think, is going to be the same as the Tories. I agree,
0: and and you touch on immigration. I think immigration is a key thing because here our Conservative Party have promised tens of thousands of our immigration numbers, and we're now up to seven hundred thousand, and. You the same there. I mean, Texas could build a wall and they're still arguing, discussing it. So I think that's a key issue. And I think that's, I mean, we even, I think you put a video up recently, even CNN having to read out those poll numbers and announce Trump ahead in a number of states. And I know we've had um uh, we've had brandon strack on before the walk away campaign and democrats yeah. beginning to realize that this is not the party they signed up to and uh, tell us about that because it's the left media beginning to admit uh what the polls are telling them and that is
1: because democrats are walking away yeah no you're you're absolutely right that's uh, it when all is said and done, the Democrat coalition's unraveling. That's one of the reasons why Biden is is uh, is falling apart. And the only gift we could give them is to put someone other than Trump in. Uh, if you want to re- realign their coalition, that'll do. Because voters don't trust Republicans, and, and Republicans are giving them a wonderful opportunity not to trust them. They try; they tend to stab them in the back every chance they get. Yeah, we have um, we've had a couple of some uh, sort of really impressive studies of late. There was something called a split ticket analytics uh, study that was a that was a meta study of uh, national uh, trends going on politically, and then uh, Democracy Corps did more of a micro uh, study of late on just the battleground states. So again, because we're an electoral, college, just we're all clear that because we're an electoral college system. You know, uh, forget California, they're going to vote uh, blue. Forget Texas, it's going to vote red. Florida's going to vote red. You know, w- blue states, and sorry, and, <laughs> our blue is liberal, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and our red is, is conservative. I know it's the opposite the way around. <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, but every, hopefully everyone can translate, right? Just mirror it. And uh, so for us, it, it comes down to about seven purple states right so that'll work seven purple states they could go either way and uh what is so fascinating is particularly in that democracy core study is they really looked at the the battlegrounds and that's what we try to do in our polls we try to look at what's going on nationally some national trends but then you're going to have to drill down and see if those trends are corroborated and what's going on in the battleground states because because Biden could be doing great nationally. He might be up two, three points in a poll, but that's only because the poll is skewed more to the population centers in LA and and San Francisco and, and New York and Chicago. They're gonna vote blue no matter what. The question is what's going on in those purple states. And when you look at the purple states, it really does look like the Democrat coalition has unraveled. Um, when they look at uh when they when they divide up their voter demographics and they look at Gen Z and millennial voters, when you break them down by race, so you get really nitty-gritty in the demographic breakdown. Gen Z white voters favor Trump by 30 points. It's stunning. Now, these are you know, these are more or less your under 30 voters to make it simple. And millennials, I think, are between 30 and 40, something like that. So you're so so Trump is winning the white Gen Z vote. And again, overwhelmingly by 30 votes, the white millennials are voting for Trump by 20 points. Uh, Latino voters in the battleground states, Trump is winning them. He's winning them by three points. Nationally, it's Biden by around five points, but that represents a 20 point decline from 2020. Um, when it comes to blacks, this is probably the most astonishing number. Uh, Trump right now has black support. Even the New York times has admitted that no Republican has seen in half a century. He's up around 20 points. Um, it, it It's just, we haven't seen this with any Republican uh, candidate. Uh, Biden right now, nationally, uh, he's winning the black vote by with 52 percent of the vote. But that's down 30 points from 2020. He won the black vote far, far above that, right? Eighty five, 90 percent. So Trump is seeing black support like we've not seen before. Women. I mean, um, the battleground uh, polling shows that Trump actually has a 25 point lead among not just white women, but even unmarried white women. It's the unmarried. We married women tend to vote Republican in the United States. They tend to be much more traditionalist. It's the unmarried women that tend to be the the Republicans' women problem they talk about. Unmarried white women now are with Trump by twenty five by twenty five points. We're even finding that he's within a hair's breath of winning the college vote, the, co- the those with college degrees. So in the United States, th- I'm sure it's in, comparable in Britain. There's a tremendous political difference between those who, who have college degrees and those who don't, so-called working class. And working class right now are just overwhelmingly voting Trump and are increasingly voting Republican, whereas the college degrees tend to overwhelmingly vote liberal. They kind of got, uh, we say they got woke, you know, That's not going on in 2024. Now, Trump is even leading, actually, among women with college degrees, white women with college degrees. Uh, It's just so we're seeing, in effect, the Democrat coalition just unravel right before our very eyes. And now, yeah, you have articles coming out on CNN uh saying uh joe biden has an electoral math problem (laughs) just blatant i mean it's a it's 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 a nice way of saying he can't win as these polls are playing themselves up because it's not that trump just has leads in these battleground states he has leads that are far beyond the margin of fraud which is around one or two percent you can play around with the vote up to about one or two percent beyond that there's really there's there's, you know, you, you've you exhausted all the precincts that you can suck out some extra votes from. So he's winning by four, six, eight, ten 10 percent in these battleground state polls. And there's just they're freaking out. They know they can't do 2020 again with the, the massive mail in uh, uh, ballot campaign that they had. Uh, so they're left to the weaponized legalism to try to take Trump out through. Through a conviction, but like you said earlier, convict him as things stand. With with this process of delegitimation, his poll numbers are even going to go higher. Well,
0: you—that's the the meltdown on the on the political side and the legal side, and a a massive part disseminating information is the media. And you've done quite a bit also on the on the meltdown. In the media that specifically the the woke media i think nothing signifies that more than alex jones going back on x or twitter yeah. uh and musk said he would put it out to the polls uh, here in the uk we've seen our most uh probably high profile controversial figures would be katie hopkins and tommy robinson and they have both also been reinstated to twitter um tell us about about that, because it is a joy to watch the left freaking out at free speech being allowed to reign.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you just just let that hit you, right? Just let a free press, a free media, is freaking out over free speech. It's, I mean, what's up is down, what's down is up. Um, yeah, I well, I think we all know what they're really freaking out about and uh they're 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 finding their mechanisms of uh, their tools of social control uh being wrenched away from them. Uh, they are ultimately upset that Elon Musk is effectively disrupting one of the uh, regime's most important tools of social control, which is the establishment's ability to isolate dissent it so silencing dissent seems to involve two things and I've, scholars have when you read scholars of censorship they focus on these two dynamics quite often i i've i've found this very very fascinating because we all focus on one dynamic and that's the censorship proper, knocking somebody off the platform. We saw that with, obviously, Katie Hopkins and Tony uh, and uh, Tommy Robinson alike. We saw it with, with uh, Alex Jones. Uh, just, you remove the microphone. That's it. You turn off the microphone, Get knock them off, problem solved, right? Well, scholars have noticed when you go all around the world and you look at censorship uh, uh, techniques uh, from authoritarian governments, no, they know that the person is popular enough You could turn off their microphone, but they're still going to have an audience. You can still have public meetups, right? Email lists, direct mail, whatever. There's all kinds of ways you can still drum up social dissent uh, if the person is popular enough. So that's why it can't just be the censorship proper. There's another step to this and authoritarian regimes use this all the time. It's what uh, leftist, dissidents like Noam Chomsky refers to as uh, manufactured consent and this is largely the role of the Western media. this is what the this is the, the this is the role the Western media has been given as it were uh, by the establishment or is, or is carved out for itself by the establishment. What our legacy media does here is they put forward a uniformity, of not narrative doesn't matter if you're looking at ABC, NBC, CBS, or, or, or Channel Four, BBC, or whatever. It doesn't matter what you're looking at. It is a uniform narrative. Everyone is reading off the same script. That's very important because if everyone is reading off the same script, no one person is saying it. That's very important, right? We, our founding fathers had a saying um that uh, we need to hang together or else we're going to hang separately let's <laughs> say we're going against the crown as it were it's, and that's very much the principle we need to hang together we need a uniform message and that way no one person is saying it we're all we're all saying it and that uniform message noam chomsky did a very very good job in in analyzing this The uniform message plays, it always plays off of pre-existing sentiments, pre-existing loyalties, prejudices, whatever you want to call them. But the key is that the narrative, the uniform narrative, manipulates those pre-existing sentiments in such a way that strengthens the power of the regime. And that's exactly what they did to Alex Jones. The the media unilaterally depicted Jones. And again, that's the key. Unila everybody is saying it. He's a crackpot. He's a crazed conspiracy theorist. He he's uh, a threat to democracy. He's a Putin stooge. Um he wants, you know, uh he wants you to poison yourselves in the midst of a of a pandemic. And the 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 is this resistance, he is a cruel harasser of parents mourning over their murdered children. That was the the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting, actually, which happened about 15 minutes from where I, I grew up uh, in Connecticut. So the key here is that the uniformity of the media's message deliberately creates, it aims to try to create a massive us, we the people, right?, versus a very tiny, small them, or in this case, him or her. And the reason why they're doing it, massing that kind of support, ironically, playing off of our sensibilities of poor parents who are mourning their kids and so on. The reason why they're doing that is to silence any and all dissent against the regime. So that's the key. It's not just the censorship. That's bad enough. But again, if the person's popular enough, they'll find other ways of reaching people. No, no, no. Manufactured consent is the means by which you si- is the means by which you destroy that popularity. The, the media's unanimous narrative that deliberately seeks to isolate and thereby silence any and all dissent from the regime. Is 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 its principal tool to increase its power and its manipulation, and so I think that's why I think we found that's why it worked. It seemed to for so long work so well with Alex Jones. He seemed to have been pushed off the stage, and Tommy Robinson seems to have been pushed off that stage again. It's not just the microphone that got silenced. They pushed people didn't want to be associated with them anymore because of this uniform narrative that plays on our sensibilities in such a way that exploits them to increase the power of the regime. That's the key. And so what did Elon Musk do? <laughs> he, he, he provided a, a massive communication network platform that invites these personalities back and thereby disrupts the unanimity of the media's narrative and destroys their ability to isolate and seclude dissent. That's the key, I think, to the significance of what Elon has done. And notice now what they're doing to Elon. (laughs) Yeah. But it's um, the same thing.
0: It is. And and me to finish off on this, you've got the schizophrenia of the legacy media. I mean, I saw uh, Piers Morgan in the UK was interviewing Zuby, uh, the rapper, and they were discussing Alex Jones and Piers was saying, well, how dare you? How can you have Alex Jones on Twitter? And they're arguing about whether you could or not. But then I think back, well, Piers Morgan had Alex Jones on his show maybe six months ago, eight months So he's happy to have him on his show because the left realise it's a boost of... I mean, the left must have been... The media must have been so sad whenever Trump didn't turn up at those primaries because it does boost that rating. And going into election year, they want Trump, but they don't. And it's the same thing, the debate on on the social media. I mean, Twitter actually being free, that is it is a game changer not that twitter is where everyone finds it is part of society but with everything else you get tiktok you get so many avenues of information and i think i'm curious to see how those play out in an election year with the main, the the mainstream media being desperate to get a glimpse of trump for their ratings but the
1: the new media the Twitter's actually opening up and, and free speech reigning. Yeah, you're absolutely right, uh, Peter. There's there's this, uh, we talk about a lot on the channel, the, this phenomenon known as the network society. Um, we're, we are moving into a, a, very quickly, if not, we're already there, I think, in many respects. Uh, we're in a whole different, we're in a whole different social order in many ways. So but back in the day, social order was often, uh, deter- was primarily determined by proximity and so, uh, in the 19th century, uh, early 20th century, it's where the great cities, industrialized cities, uh, uh, amassed, and and then we had a whole media world rise up around them. You know, uh, from uh, the Washington Post to the New York Times, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the L.A. Times, the Chicago uh, Tribune, the London times, the wall street journal, they, they all revolve around these massive population centers, because if you wanted to go anywhere in the world for like, you know, if you want to go up the social ladder, you had to be where the action was happening. If I want to make it into country music, I had to move to Nashville, or if I want to make it in finance, I had to move to wall street or London. If I want to make it in gambling, I had to, move over to you know Las Vegas. You had to be where the action is happening. We don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> you know, the most, one of the most famous um, uh, singers right now uh, is Oliver Anthony. You probably see the rich men north of Richmond. Yeah. You know? And Oliver Anthony became this massive, massive country music hit, not by making it big in Nashville, Right, not by getting signed by any kind of New York record executive. He made it big because of a camcorder and YouTube (laughs) singing in his backyard in rural Virginia. And he Uh, ends up on the Joe Rogan show. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Who again, and you just could keep pushing that who again is an independent content creator, totally independent of any kind of major network and so forth. So what we're, what we're living in the midst of now is the recalibration society, not around proximity, but around networks. So all you need is access to the network, namely the internet, just like you and I are doing right now. Uh, We're across the pond from each other. And yet I feel like I'm closer to you than, than somebody just uh, 10 feet away from me over here. Um, We now have access to what's going on irrespective of proximity. You don't have to be where things are. You just have to tap into what things are, as it were. And what does that mean? That means now we all have access to disestablish, decentralized, digital information instantaneously. We don't need a legacy media mediating it for us. They don't have a monopoly over that information anymore. The first pictures of some event around the world don't come to us from you know satellite trucks with CBS News uh, splashed across the windows. They come from people's smartphones. Everybody with a phone is now a cameraman, and everybody with a social media platform is now a commentator. We all have access to the same information, which means now we can fact-check the fact-checkers. We can fact-check The legacy media in real time now, and they don't know how to handle this because they're still living as if the big mass industrial age is the primary mechanism of social order. It's not anymore. It's networks. It's instantaneous, disestablished, decentralized digital Information. That's why the independent content creator, with uh, Tucker Carlson being probably uh, the king of them right now, the independent content creators—the future of it. It's not. It's not big conglomerate media corporations like Fox. They're losing popular. They're losing uh, viewers. CNN is losing viewers. MSNBC is losing viewers. All the major newspapers are losing readers because the independent content creator who has just as much access to the information as anybody in the media is seen as more trustworthy precisely because they're not under the pressures, the professional pressures of pushing that uniformity of message.
0: Absolutely. And that Tucker Carlson network will be one that we are all watching, intrigued at what comes out of that. But uh, Steve, thank you so much for coming. I love just picking off some of those uh, videos that you've touched on, on the meltdown, on those different sectors. So thanks so much for coming along and sharing your thoughts on those.
1: Oh, thank you, Peter. It's always an honor to, honor to be here. Many of your viewers may know I got my doctorate across the pond at Durham, and I always always love uh, visiting with uh, my, uh, my British brothers. So thank you, sir.
0: If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list, donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsovoke.org. Thank you for listening.